We're just days into a new year, and already so much change. We get you up to speed with some of the stories you missed over the holiday, track the biggest comings and goings of the week, and get your pencil and paper handy as we mark off the biggest stories and events you can expect in Kansas City during this brand spanking new year. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of AARP Kansas City, RSM, Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Gorley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. <laughs> Hello and welcome, I'm Nick Haynes, and we are so flattered that you decided to add watching this show every week to your New Year's resolution list trying to make you 3% smarter in just 26 minutes are this week's news reviewers. Keeping tabs on our state houses for KCUR News, Brian Ellison is with us, as is KCUR's news director, Lisa Rodriguez, the managing editor of the Cole newspaper, Eric Wesson, and tracking our local news from behind a microphone at KCMO Talk Radio, Pete Mundo. The numbers are in, despite the murder rate going down in many large cities across America. Kansas City just ended 2022 with the second highest number of homicides in the city's history. 169 killings in all. This week, Mayor Quinton Lucas repeated his pledge from his election uh, four years ago when he promised he'd address the bloodshed by bringing down the body count to less than 100 homicides a year. And I still do believe the city will get to below 100 homicides a year. And just, I, I don't know, I'm optimistic. I just believe it. But other than the hiring of a new police chief, Eric Wesson, what gives Mayor Lucas optimism that anything else has changed? Well, he's got these different programs going on now. Uh, Partners for Peace, they, they meet and they've brought all these different agencies together. My only concern with that, and I've been to several of their meetings, my only concern is most of the people at the table are after the fact. Where are the prevention programs that have stopped the homicides in the first place? I think that he's putting a lot on that. Uh, they got federal funding for that and they've got money for that, but I don't see anything changing uh, anytime real soon. How is the p police chief doing, the new police chief? All of this was happening while many of us were doing our uh, final work holiday parties and things at the end of the year. Uh, Pete, is she still being given the benefit of the uh, doubt, Stacey Graves, or are some people now trying to have her move out the door already? I think most people have checked out the last two weeks or so, Nick, so I don't think you can grade her good, bad. It's, it's really indifferent at this point, but uh, the prevention angle is important. A lot of people in law enforcement in this town will tell you that as long as you continue with what they consider to be a prosecutor that is fairly soft with criminals, putting a lot of these people back out onto the streets, uh, I mean, you know, you want to get that number down, how much can you get it down? That's what they'll say. They're just one part of this uh, violent crime issue. How are people holding Mayor Quinton Lucas accountable for this? One of them would have been that he would have had a major opponent running against him when we have an election coming up this April, and yet he has only drawn uh, token opposition from Clay Chastain. Right. There's, there, there's not been a, a candidate that's emerged that would give the mayor a strong run for office. But I think to what... 
Pete was saying, I think cooperation between the prosecutor and the new police chief will be key here. We, we know and we've talked on this show about how uh, both departments have alleged they're not giving each other full information. They have had a rocky relationship in the past. That's going to be something to watch moving forward. And another thing, as far as the activist community, I've seen a shift in that rather than demanding or calling for a new police chief or calling for the ouster of the mayor, they're now deciding that's we've given up on those institutions and we're going to look inside our community for solutions. And so I think we'll see a little more community solutions coming out, especially from activists. And I also saw that the mayor in his interview with the Kansas City Star this week saying also giving giving up on the Missouri legislature to do anything about this either. Right. Both Kansas City and St. Louis got called out in the opening festivities of the, uh, the legislative session this week for their high homicide rates, their high crime rates, and calling on cities without mentioning the names of the cities they were talking about, to take these steps. The problem, of course, is funding. Uh, as we know, the, the voters of the state of Missouri have now mandated that Kansas City spend more money on the, its police department, but city leaders in Kansas City have said we need to be spending more money on underserved communities, investing in education, investing in other factors that are more likely in the long run to diminish the crime rate. So we'll have to see whether that translates into any legislative action. Now, just as Kansas City hires a police chief, the help wanted sign has gone up for someone to run the fire department. This week, Donna Lake announced she will retire as fire chief after a 30-year career with the department, the last three as its leader. I remember when I first started this job, who was leading the fire department was a massive story. Is it still a big deal, Eric, or was this news met with a sort of collective shrug as to why should we care? It was one of those shrugs, why should we care? Uh, one of those situations because again it happened during the transition from Christmas to New Year's and people aren't really paying a whole lot of attention to what's going on yet. Now if she had done it next week we probably would have gotten a lot more media coverage and a lot more questions asked about why all of a sudden she's uh, retiring. I, I do think it's the, the timing is interesting. Um, Donna Lake has not had a controversial tenure as chief, despite uh, some controversy about the fire department. We um, have covered stories of widespread uh, racial discrimination in the department. The department faced a massive lawsuit with the crash of one of its fire trucks that, that killed people in Westport. And, and to, after a 30-year career to announce a retirement that takes effect at the end of the month, I think there are some questions still to be asked about that timing and about what's, what's going on. By the way, what does a former fire chief in Kansas City do with their lives now? I see that she's now becoming the new assistant manager in the city of Lee Summit. So there's... Well, and uh, it certainly is a, a healthy retirement package, one has to think. The, the, the reality, I think, is that Eric's absolutely right. It was a collective shrug, but it shouldn't be. The Kansas City Fire Department is a $237 million annual budget. It's an enormous responsibility, whoever's in charge of that. So not only is the retirement a significant issue, so is the search for the next fire. But it doesn't get the same attention as the police do. No, no, it doesn't. It never will. It's not as sexy, obviously, as, as that position. But it's, you know, great. You jump from one bureaucracy to another, and you keep cashing the checks. But anyway, uh, to your point, um, when you look at this, there's a reason. It's like a Friday news dump. If you want people to celebrate you, you don't announce your retirement on a multi-decade career a couple days before Christmas. You just don't do it. So that's somebody to me that wasn't looking for attention on the retirement, which uh, may open up some questions beyond that. Now, while much of the nation's news attention has been fixated on the horror stories of Southwest Airlines passengers and the stunning on-field collapse 
of an NFL athlete, we've had our own dramatic horror story playing out here at home. With most of us distracted with other things over the holiday, one of our longest-serving theatre leaders was accused of sexual abuse, and not just by one, but multiple actors. And then, just days after the story breaks in the Pitch newspaper, the artistic director of the Coterie Theatre, Jeff Church, is found dead in his Brookside home. Lisa Rodriguez, you had that story. His attorney says it's a suicide after his client had become, quote, the victim of what he called a digital witch hunt. Now, all this was playing out while the Children's Theatre was presenting a Charlie Brown Christmas. But unlike this week's headline-grabbing NFL game, there was to be no pause to consider the damage. The show went on. So what's going to happen now to the theatre in Crown Centre? Is it business as usual? I think I want to acknowledge first that this was a, a very fast-moving and very tragic story. And this um, is playing out Christmas Day weekend, out yes. Christmas Day, and a lot of people will have very emotional responses to us, and it'll take weeks to process and get answers. As far as being an audience member, uh, enjoying shows at the Coterie, I think that you will see that the show will go on, that there, despite leadership being different, there are some changes that they have planned for, and that you'll be, continue to enjoy shows there. What I think we'll be looking out for now is what what is going to happen behind the scenes? What are people doing to take a look at the culture at the Coterie and at the in theater writ large? This is a, a working community that has relationships that are different than any other type of working community, where people are physically and emotionally much closer than you are in, in another office environment. So it's time to take a hard look at that, a hard look at the allegations, but still allow process, a time to process and, and grieve what's happening. What was being remarkable about this story for me is how fast it happened and how quickly think things took place. And we, we remember some of these allegations were decades old. These were playing out on social media sites. This is not happening in a court of law anywhere. How, how did it lead to the unraveling so quickly? I think part of that is, is the nature of social media, where when one person posts something, it can trigger a windfall of other or, or give someone else permission to share something that they weren't quite sure what, what happened there. So I think um, that's the nature of social media. I think it is unfortunate that, that we don't have time. That doesn't allow us or myself as the leader of a news organization to fully investigate and get to the bottom and ask these important questions of all sides. Um, but it's just... It, it's it's a lot. People are still reeling from this, and and will continue to. And do Jeff Church, so. a very prominent member of the artistic community here in Kansas City, Brian. he was indeed. And I, I think we should acknowledge that the board of the Coterie Theater, even before the tragic news of of Church's death by suicide, had had already taken action to say we're taking these reports seriously. We're going to investigate. And even after his death, they have said we're going to continue to investigate and try to get to the bottom of what happened. There may be other factors besides Church himself that allowed those stories to go untold or uninvestigated for years or even decades. It was a big week for political goodbyes, hellos, departures and bereavements. Former Kansas Attorney General Bob Steffen died this week. He was the longest-serving AG in Kansas history. And this Friday is the last day on the job for the head of Johnson County government, Ed Eilert, who has been in one elected office or another for the past 45 years. If it weren't for Ed Eilert, I don't believe we would have a renovated Union Station today in Kansas City. It's never about Ed Eilert. It's always about how can we advance 
this good cause. Islet's successor, Mike Kelly, will be officially sworn in as the new head of Johnson County government on Monday. On the Missouri side of state line, Vice President Kamala Harris presided over the swearing-in of Eric Schmidt as he takes his place in the U.S. Senate for the first time. And former Kansas City News anchor Mark Alford officially started his job as the newest member of our congressional uh, delegation in our area. But can he actually be called a congressman, Pete Mundo? I, I didn't think they, they're officially been sworn in yet because they can't choose a speaker. Well, not, a, not as of this conversation, Nick. He is not uh, technically a congressman from Missouri. So this is great for us. I mean, people are digging out of the new year and they're slowly getting back into the news cycle. And we've got this drama, uh, not just in D.C., but both sides of our state line. So it's fascinating. The turnover in Johnson County to me is really interesting with Mike Kelly and his tenure as Roland Park mayor kind of made that race more uh, red and blue and more political in many respects than it traditionally has been. So there's a lot going on that uh, we're excited about here in the new year. And people like Cherise Davids on the Kansas side experiencing something she's never had to experience before, being in the minority party. That's right. It's a big change. Uh, Emmanuel Cleaver on the Missouri side, a longtime member of the majority party, uh, making the move to the minority as well. Uh, Sharice Davids uh, made a, issued a statement uh, noting that there's real problems with the difficulty the Republicans have had in electing a speaker. And uh, we don't, we don't, uh, this, during this lengthy period of transition, uh, there is no oversight happening of the uh, executive branch. There's, uh, there's not even a way to convene if there were a need for national security briefings. So uh, there are some actual consequences besides the political theater of this confusing moment. On Monday, Chris Kobach will be officially sworn in as the next Kansas Attorney General, but getting less attention is this man. We're going to continue to push back against President Biden's illicit federal overreach, and we're going to look for new opportunities to do that in the coming days. Alrighty, do you know him? This is Andrew Bailey, the man Governor Mike Parson has picked to be the new Missouri Attorney General as Eric Schmidt starts his new gig in Washington. And those were pretty big fighting words for someone who's just been sworn into office without getting even one vote from the public. If you ask most people who is Andrew Bailey, I'm pretty confident most people would say they'd never heard of him. But could he be the next Governor of Missouri when Mike Parson leaves office next year, Brian? I suppose he could be. Uh, attorney Generals have a record in Missouri of going on to higher office, but... Like I wouldn't get uh, ahead of ourselves. Uh, as you said, he has not yet won a single vote, and most of those <laughs> prior attorney generals have, have had to win an election to something first before they've gone on to higher office. I do think uh, Bailey is, uh, is certainly acting as though he intends to run for uh, the office of attorney general again. He, they've not only the, the speeches like we've heard, but also uh, mentioning his biography as a veteran, as a family man. Uh, they, are, they do seem to be setting him up to be a future Republican elected leader in the state of Missouri. But you have Josh Hawley, Eric Schmidt, Jay Nixon, Jack Danforth, John Ashcroft, all former Missouri Attorney Generals who all went on to big office right afterwards. Yeah, this is unique. I mean, uh, Bailey was on Mike Parson's staff. Uh, he had that obviously going for him. And from what I've gathered in talking to people about Andrew Bailey, um, he's really not a guy who wants to spend his nights in Jeff City, work in the room politically, schmoozing, raising money. That's just not who he is, uh, for better or for worse, depending on who you ask. So I'm not, I'm not certain he's the next, you know, rock star Republican politician coming out of the show me state, just based on what I gather his personality to be. Now, as Congress returns with lots of drama over who will be the next House Speaker, closer to home, our state lawmakers head back to work. Let's start in Missouri. Complete this sentence for us, Lisa. The biggest issue facing Missouri lawmakers this session is blank. 
Oh, where do, where do I begin? Sports gambling. <laughs> Sports gambling. Education. All Actually, right. I think I think I I think I will amend that to education. I think there's a lot of elements under this topic that lawmakers will be tackling. Some of it will be these these wedge issues we've seen before on how people teach race. Um, in schools, LGBTQ issues like whether to allow trans athletes to compete in sports that match their gender. Um, I also think teacher pay is going to be a, a huge one. Uh, Missouri has long been a, among the lowest and worst paid teachers in, in the country. Which is why we have even local school districts like Independence going to four days a week right. now too. Right, and so I think I think, there's, I think education is gonna be a big theme this session. I think that teacher pay connects to the budget. There's, there's a lot to be done this session. I remember on previous shows, you were critical of Missouri on the sports betting issue. They couldn't get their act together. Is this going to be the year they finally make that happen? I think it is, Nick. I think they, it is. They've now got five states surrounding them that have it. Obviously, the two states that border their biggest cities, Kansas and Illinois. And on top of that, you may not recall, Nick, but before the season when Kansas passed it, I gave you two locks of the season. <laughs> Kansas over two and a half wins for football. K-State over six and a half. You know, if Missourians had listened, if they could bet, they would have made a lot of money. They would have had a great holiday season, but they can't. So it's time to get on board. All right. Who did you put down as we completed the sentence of the biggest issue well, in the I, Missouri legislature this year, Brian? I think, Nick, the, the, the biggest, the way that sentence is always completed is how to spend money. For yeah. whatever other controversial issues come up, they come and they go, but the state budget is always the biggest item on the General Assembly's agenda. And they have lots of money. They have lots of money. An unprecedented surplus this year. Uh, part of that because of federal COVID relief funds, partly because of various economic initiatives uh, being uh, successful. But for whatever reason, that creates lots of opportunities to fight over how that money is spent. Some of it are the issues that, that Lisa and Pete mentioned, uh, education, teacher pay, uh, but there will be lots of other uh, agendas being driven. Nick, that may not be the thing that is the most important or the longest lasting impact of this General Assembly session, though. It might be the effort of legislators to make it harder for citizens to get initiatives on the ballot. Uh, huh. Significant issues have been coming before the voters, uh, including legalization of marijuana, including Medicaid expansion over the last few years. The Republicans who control the General Assembly have not been happy with the outcome of some of those votes. They're going to make it harder, or they want to make it harder, for voters to control the agenda that way. And that's going to be very important, Pete, because there is a push to have a, an abortion amendment in Missouri to, to make sure that there is a, a constitutional right for women in Missouri to have an abortion. Is this an effort to block that? I think that is part of it. Um, but I, I think that Brian's right. That's really an understated part of this entire session, along with education and then getting that sports betting done, which should be the ultimate easy layup for him. Eric? I, I said education and gun control. I think in the Democratic-controlled uh, cities in St. Louis and Kansas City, there's going to be a push to do something about gun control. But, but as I mentioned, Quinta Lucas has already given up on that. But he might give up on it, but that doesn't mean that the state elected officials do. And I think that's more of a priority when you talk to state senators here than it is sports betting. And I think that's one of the things that they're going to be pushing a lot of. Agree, but I think Quentin Lucas is in uh, is in the bad, not the good graces, bad graces of a lot of people in Jeff City with how the right. whole police thing went right. down. Right. He ticked off a lot of the wrong people, and no one's looking to do him any favors. Uh, well, yeah. as we talk about crime and punishment, uh, this week Missouri became the first state to execute an openly transgender woman. In fact, it's the only execution of the year anywhere in the United States so far, and it comes just a few weeks after two other traditionally Republican states, Tennessee and Alabama, announced they're hitting the pause button on the death penalty. Any evidence a change to the death penalty is on the way to Missouri in 2023, Lisa? No evidence that I have seen. And in fact, the state is scheduled to execute another inmate on death row next month. 
In fact, there's only four states in the entire country, I believe, this year who have scheduled executions, Missouri being one of them. There's also only four states in the entire country that have executed more people since the death penalty was reintroduced in the U.S. than the state of Missouri. Uh, I agree with Lisa. I don't think there's any appetite at all among elected leaders in Jefferson City to change either the legality or the frequency with which the state carries out executions. But you know, Nick, South Carolina uh, brought an issue before their uh, Supreme Court asking to go back to the gas chamber, the electric chair, and firing squads because they said they couldn't get the medication or the drugs, rather, yes. used to do executions. So they're going back to the firing squad. Let's move to Kansas, where we know one thing has already happened. Starting this week, your grocery bill will get a tad bit smaller as a 2% cut in the sales tax on food kicks in. But panelists, complete this sentence for us. The biggest issue facing Kansas lawmakers this session is blank, Pete. I want to see how Governor Kelly as a lame duck works with her Republican legislature. It was one thing to do it last year in an election year. Now as a lame duck, she's already talked a good game about getting rid of the uh, grocery sales tax. I went shopping January 1st at Hy-Vee. It was great. But um, I want to see what she actually does and how these, these two factions work together. Lisa. I think abortion. Uh, I think after the, the referendum where uh, voters voted to keep the right to abortion in the Kansas Constitution, Republican lawmakers who are in the majority will look for ways, other ways, to restrict the procedure in Kansas. And I think that will continue to dominate the uh, I see there have been session. two proposals already. One is to change the way we elect Supreme Court judges, which would be one way of doing that, too. And then secondly, I think about funding crisis pregnancy centers, which would give women another uh, way of being able to look after children uh, other than an aborting a child, and I see that's going to be an issue coming up in the legislature too. Brian, what did you put down? Uh, interestingly, it's the same answer as I gave for Missouri, how to spend money. Uh, I think we'll just cut <laughs> and put the answer for the other question uh, we in can, that we slot, can add Brian. some time to okay. the... Uh, no, I, I actually think, uh, particularly around education, and that's always where state budgets uh, end up with the most conversation, but uh, Kansas Governor Laura Kelly is very interested in funding special education. Uh, the state is not living up to what even state statute requires to be spent towards special education. Uh, you'll there's actually some bipartisan agreement. The Republicans agree that something needs to be done, although some of them, rather than increasing the funding, would like to change the statute that requires that level of funding. What did you put down? I put down Chris Cobal, the Attorney General, and the Governor getting along. I think they're on two different mindsets, and I know at first they were, okay, let's try to get along, but I don't see that happening. So I think the biggest issue they're going to have is getting legislation passed with a Republican-controlled uh, House and Senate with a Democratic governor. None of you mentioned the issue of uh, marijuana. Kansas is just one of three states that has done absolutely nothing in that area. Is this the year that finally happens, Pete? No. Not even medical marijuana, Brian? I, I, maybe. I mean, I'd, yeah. I'd be fine with I'm that. I'm going to say maybe. There doesn't seem to be a lot of appetite for it. If it does happen, it's going to be for the same reason sports betting is going to happen in Missouri. The pressure from across the state line, uh, the, the, the potential for revenues uh, might move some legislators, at least in Kansas, to, to take some steps in that direction. I'm missing something with the sports betting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's that big of an issue because people in Missouri can still drive to state line and bet. So I well, don't if know. If they live in Kansas City, they can. Uh, yeah. you know, the folks in Columbia <laughs> would say it's a little more of yeah, an issue. Yeah, they have to travel them. a little bit further. <laughs> now, as it's our first show of the year, rather than do our usual closing segment where we look at the big local story we missed, we thought it might be more interesting to look forward to the stories ahead. What's the biggest local story or trend we should be paying attention to in 2023? 
Is it the 100th anniversary of the Country Club Plaza? To mark the occasion, they're keeping the holiday lights on for another six weeks. That means for the first time ever, you'll be able to see the plaza lights through Valentine's Day. In February, Missouri's first marijuana dispensaries will open for business. And in March, it's the long-awaited opening of the new-look KCI Airport. In April, up to 500,000 visitors will be heading to Kansas City for the NFL Draft. In that same month, Clay Chastain will take on Quinton Lucas in the Kansas City mayoral election. May is the deadline for the city to place a downtown ballpark on the August ballot. And after she broke Ticketmaster, Taylor Swift takes over Kansas City in July as she performs two shows at Arrowhead. And in September, get ready for another major addition to our entertainment landscape as the Kansas City Zoo officially opens its new $75 million shark-infested aquarium. It's the largest project in the zoo's history. Alrighty, some of these are bigger than others. What story are you most fixated on, Lisa, and what deserves more attention than it's getting? I think, I well, I'm not sure it's it deserves more attention than it's getting, but I do think the downtown ballpark, getting details about what that plan is, what exactly impact would be to taxpayers, will be a huge story in the coming year. I think that uh, especially that taxpayer question and what the chiefs will do if um, if that gets put on the ballot and ultimately passed by voters, uh, where, where the money's going to go next. So May is that deadline to get it on the August ballot, which we've seen in the newspaper is what was the push, but do you see that happening by I think I think it will likely be on on the ballot in April. I think the the question will be what information will voters have um, at that point. Eric, I said opening the airport in the midst of Southwest, who will probably be one of the biggest franchises there at the airport, uh, opening the bugs that Southwest has to work out and the airport being a new airport. And I also said... At a 40, time of great staffing shortages, too. Are they going to be able exactly, to staff it properly? Exactly. And I think we're doing job fairs in the next couple of weeks. But uh, in addition to that, 40 people have filed to run for city council offices. And I think that's an unprecedented number of people coming in trying to be an elected official in Kansas City. Pete. Taylor Swift, really, Nick? Yeah. Taylor Swift? <laughs> you, I thought you were a Swifty. I added it for you. I'll be at the uh, Springsteen show February 19th. That's a big, that's my seventh show. <laughs> okay, right. Anyway, okay. Uh, I agree with Lisa. It's downtown baseball. Great mixture of local politics, state politics, sports, all wrapped in the one. Uh, they had a clunky rollout, I thought, with that first listening session in December. I think there's still a lot of uh, mistrust right now between the public and ownership, and it is going to be a fascinating uh, situation to watch play out this year. Brian? I agree with Eric that the city council election are very significant, not only the number of candidates, but the fact that several incumbents are being challenged, some longtime members of the council are rotating off. I think we're going to be looking at a very different tone uh, and substance of what happens with the city council going forward. I'm also going to say both on the Kansas and Missouri side, this actually is a very important legislative session. Uh, significant budget decisions, new directions, and some new leadership on both sides of the aisle that could really change the tone of things. We'll see if maybe this is the year they become productive legislative bodies. And on that, we will say our weekend has been reviewed thanks to the calls Eric Wesson and from KCUR Brian Ellison and his colleague KCUR News Director Lisa Rodriguez and 6 to 10 weekdays on KCMO Talk Radio Pete Mundo and I'm Nick Haynes from all of us here at Kansas City PBS be well keep calm and carry on